0: We have a special guest who's showing up on the podcast today. It is none other than the legendary, he really is a legend in the magic community, Michael J. Flores. We were fortunate enough to have Covert Go Blue kind of uh, start up a dialogue with him, and he is showing up on the podcast today. Are you stoked, CGB? I don't think I could be much more excited about a guest it would be hard there's a lot of people I'm
1: very excited to talk to in the magic community but if I made like a top eight I'm sure Michael J as he's called in his podcast would be on it for sure for
0: sure So, yeah, my first real exposure to the the character, the thought, the voice of Michael J. Flores was definitely through listening to the Top Level podcast. So one of my favorite magic podcasts over the years. I mean, it's really been going a long time now. Uh, It's a show that he runs along with patrick chapin who's just basically another one of like the top magic players of all time one of the original thinkers in magic and uh, so the two of them just like their friendship their knowledge of magic their experience with just all of the pros in the game over literally decades is just incredible And so, you know, listening to them riff on everything magic related and otherwise is just one of my favorite things from top level podcasts. So for me to be able to jump from that to actually bridging onto our own podcast is a real honor for sure.
1: One of the nicest things you've ever said to me is when you invited me to become the co-host of this show, you literally said, I may have found... The Patrick Chapin to my Michael J, which is is a reference, of course, to our guest and their podcast. And like that hit with me because I love that podcast, too. That, that like hit with me so good. I'll never forget that you said that.
0: I love it. I mean, I really I feel that way. I feel like I play the role of kind of like um, trying to keep things straight, maybe trying to play the good cop a little bit, you know, and then I feel like you come in with that Patrick Chapin energy, that kind of bracing, that kind of contrarian that kind of cheeky trickster energy, that Valky energy, right? So yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And that's so exciting to be able to kind of share the stage. Uh, We've already recorded it and we're going to dive into it soon, but I felt like I learned that I still have a lot to learn about podcasting and to keep trying to make this show better because he's so good at what he does, Michael Flores. He really is. And it was like he being is. next to him. I think we were both kind of like, holy cow, this guy, he just sees the game at that next level. But better than that, like, I think you and I have been there a few times where we see the next level of the game. He articulates
0: it so well. Yeah. Master. Master. The total master.
1: I've been reading his work and he's a writer. And right now he is writing for CoolStuffInc.com. So we have a sponsor in common, uh, he and I, which is pretty awesome. So you can check him out. Michael Flores on CoolStuffInc.com. And I've been reading his stuff for I don't know how long. I think I started reading magic articles and like it, it was in the 90s. I'm not kidding. When finding stuff on the internet that wasn't fully formed. But he wrote the article about who's the beat down asking that critical question. And it's given me so much of a different way to approach the game. And his writing style in general, I don't know how to explain it, but it feels tangenty, but he brings it all together. And then you understand what you're doing better than you thought you did. And his latest article on CoolStuffing.com is about Golgari Snow. And he kind of circles it back to what I was doing with Blood on the Snow and the Blood Money style decks in Standard 2022, and he brings it full circle to why this is like the best version of the Snow deck that you can be playing, comparing a lot of what I used to do and a lot of what's going on in the format. And I read it, and it, it does mention me a few times, including what I did in my videos. I read it, and I'm like, oh yeah, now I understand why I like that deck. Like. <laughs> I had none of this figured out.
0: He explained your own theory to you.
1: (laughs) And he did it better than I could. It was,
0: oh my gosh. That's amazing. Blew my mind. Yeah that's awesome that's awesome you know it's true so much of what we do in magic it yeah, happens on kind of a subconscious level we do it because it feels good we do it because you know it fills in the curve we do it for various reasons but yeah having having a real master be able to just kind of dissect it lay it out for you i mean that's what makes people like michael j such important contributors to the game so without further ado why don't we get it rolling michael j flores okay and here we go as the arena craft podcast i am
1: here with arjuna say hi arjuna what's up everybody and michael J. hello welcome to the show hello to you cgb thanks for having me an absolute pleasure and we're gonna dive right into the SCG tour online satellite results because the story right now when these results came in kind of the first competitive (laughs) tournament is that there's already something that needs to get banned because is it epiphany at 16% of the field, won 75% of its matches, and looking at the top eight, had six of the eight spots. And that's a lot. Six of the eight spots? Surely it must have won the tournament. Ooh. It's not, though, the only 6-0 in the tournament. The 6-0 belongs to Mono Green Aggro.
2: What if we looked at, say, the next two tournaments? Surely, is it Epiphany would have won one of the next two?
1: Or actually, the the next one also has two 6-0s. They're both mono-green aggro. Oh, wow.
2: <laughs> yeah, I could totally see how this would be a problem.
1: So uh, what about the third one? Yeah, there's a third one. There's three six Os. Yeah? There's two mono-green aggros, and there's a mono-white aggro.
2: Yeah, I could totally see why a chicken would be looking at the sky and, uh, <laughs> and screaming to ban Allen's Epiphany uh, based on these definitive results that... <laughs> Clearly, the, the, the combo time walk deck is the most successful and powerful deck in the format. Sounds it, like it.
1: Yeah, it definitely stands out, especially when we talk about like that match win percentage sounds terrifying at first. Arjuna, what if you had to guess off the top of your head, what would did that match win percentage? It was 75% in tournament number one. What do you think it went to in
0: tournament number two? Okay, in tournament number two, I'm giving it, let's give it somewhere in the 60s. Let's say a 65%. Okay, Michael J., do
1: you want to place a bet?
2: Uh, I don't really understand how any of these mathematics work, so I'll just I'll just wait and then
0: make a, a witty comment. And- <laughs> oh, I like
1: it. I like it.
0: Then, sorry, Arjuna, the number is 55%. Ooh, 20 whole percentage points down. Yikes.
1: Yeah, one tournament later, which is quite the drop, you might say. And then uh, the last tournament, number three, that we're going to be covering, 50%. Wow. Down to 50 50 just like that. Okay. I mean, first of all,
2: thank god, right? Like <laughs> it would be an actual bad thing if you had a deck that sustained a 75% win percentage over the over the course of time. But I actually think it, you know, sometimes things just get momentum and they they ban things because they might like you know, when they ban Book of Exalted Deeds in in Standard 2022, like it why did it did it have an abnormally high win percentage? Not really. Was it like super popular? Not really. Why didn't you ban it then? Eh, some people didn't like it, right? Like, so yeah. if you're in a situation where it's like, oh man, some people don't like this card that's been in print for you know however many, however many months, like well, we should ban it then. I don't like that. And I just don't like it structurally, despite the fact that I mostly play you know, some version of your Black Snow decks and Aaron's and Epiphany is very good against those decks. I wouldn't like the idea of banning Allen's Epiphany because then you would actually have a problem in standard.
0: That would make a problem. So that's compelling. I'd love to hear you unpack that a little bit, Michael J. Like, what are the forces that you see that are kind of being held in check at the moment? Alren's Epiphany is kind of the most powerful thing, right? It's, it's you know, sometimes it's just like
2: a, you made two birds and cantrip to land and you're not in a position to attack, right? And you're like, so sometimes, you know, you rail four Alrin's Epiphany consecutively, you know, in, in two turns and your opponent's dead from, from 20, right? I did but, that today. Yeah, so that happens sometimes, right? Some You know, the stars have to kind of align, your opponent has to kind of tap out. Literally, I was just doing the math. I was playing against a blue-white actually, actually at this point. So I, you know, got him to tap out, I played a Loth, made two two ones, and I'm like, all right, he has a he has a tucked card. I'm assuming this is an Allen's Epiphany. I'm winning, right? Like, I'm ahead on life. I have more cards. And the question I have is like, let's assume that he attacks my Loth and I trade my two two ones for his two-one ones, right? Is a random card off the top of his deck better or worse than a Loth with one and then three loyalty counters? I actually think that the Loth is better. Just like, what would you rather have? You can draw one card. You don't know what the card is, or you have a three loyalty Loth and it's in play. Which one would you rather have? That is Aaron's Epiphany's good matchup, right? Like, so yeah. just contextualize it like that. This is like the matchup they want. So Loth is maybe the third best card in the black deck, right? So, okay, a resolved attack on a single Aaron's Epiphany is probably not as good as what's left over from the Loth that you unsuccessfully attacked. It's real hard for me to say that that card is too abusively strong. I mean, it feels bad when you do something. You, they cast a hundred dollars epiphanies. You can't win. Yeah, but that's good because it it puts a a wall up in the format.
1: Yeah, what there's really- a ceiling. A what would really
2: happen is it would reveal what the real most powerful cards in, in the format are. Right now, people can play Allen's Epiphany and they can go over the top of people who are, you know, interacting with the hoi polloi. I mean, it's like, ah, you know, I, I have to remove creatures, right? Like, I'm a lowly board control deck or whatever. But on a practical, functional level, Blood on the Snow would become an abusive card. Sometimes you just kill like a a wolf and some two, two cats and you get back a one, four and a treasure. And you know, it's not that spectacular. And your opponent has this illusion that he can still win the game. And that's good for you, right? Because he will continue to play a deck like that thinking that he can win the game, but you know, the truth, right? Like that one, four is that's going to be four cards. Now he's never going to do another point of damage to you. And Uh, That's cool. And there's the other games where it's like, all right, you make some giant planeswalker and they're, you know, they lose six creatures. Like usually when you're playing against Mono White and they didn't draw Palo, right? So they don't draw Palo or you drew two Blood in the Snow and they, you know, they get six for one and you have a lull at the end of it, right? I think that right now, the variety at the top end, because there's many different kinds of good blue-red decks and there's multiple kinds of blue-white decks and there's some blue-black decks. Because of the variety at the top end, people don't perceive Blood in the Snow as being as functionally powerful as it is against the whole bottom yeah. to you know sixty third percentile of the of the metagame, but that would become very apparent very quickly when people can no longer time walk and and make birds. So right now there's this thought like, okay, storm the festival is like the most powerful thing you can do. Oh, it's not right. So <laughs> the number of times people storm and they make a prosperous innkeeper in a non basic land is, I guess, people just forget. Right? Like, <laughs>
0: like. I mean, oh, like, Juna is loving this. Like, man.
2: people are like, i oh, be like,
0: please do go on. Please do go on about this, Michael J. <laughs> he reached out to me a couple of weeks ago. So I'd, I'd made Mythic
2: with uh, this black green deck. And I'm like, oh, I really like Storm the Festival. In black green, I can make a Ren and a Loth. Right? Oh, it's so powerful. And then, you know, I was, I was losing some to Storm the Festival decks. Right. So I was just like, all right, I started playing this black green deck because Ren and Seven dominates Goldspan Dragon. Over the course of the next week or so, people just stopped focusing on Goldspan Dragon. Even blue-red quote-unquote dragon decks are making Ashmouth Dragons. Ashmouth Dragon, that guy is the truth. I can talk about Ashmouth Dragon.
0: baby. Baby, the truth, okay? That guy does not need to connect to kill you.
2: I, I mean, I, I could talk for half an hour just on, I think Ashmouth Dragon is really, really powerful. And depending on how, how the format shifts, like I would be like, I will figure out how to sideboard the dragon egg in a black-blue deck. I would just want to sideboard that in against other control decks and never lose, right? Like it's so powerful. It's a two mana investment. It's everything Delver of Secrets ever wanted to be when it grew up, and it's like everything you your entire modern deck wants to be. And you don't have to invest anything in it. It's just All right, I got to cast a cantrip, you know, like yeah, <laughs> siphon you like everything is you know pew pew it's it's so i mean i it's so good it's so unbelievably good right so people stopped playing goldspin dragon so you didn't have to dominate Gold span dragon anymore because people people stopped playing goldspin dragon so i'm like all right people are playing more storm the festival decks so i switched to playing a more mono black deck with meat hook massacres instead of Ren and seven instead of all these greenlands and stuff and i just play against lots and lots of storm the festival decks every day first of all even when they win the lottery like who cares like i usually i'm just like oh oh, no oh no you have a card that's equivalent to the card i cast two turns ago right like (laughs) oh no i'm in so much trouble and so like they oh i'm gonna put out so many permanents and i'm gonna do all these things and i'm like yeah yeah I'm going to desperately throw away my Hive of the Eye, Tyrant, so that you'll throw a lot of resources at it. And you just want them to cast all these Storms, and you just cast, like, one Meat Hook Massacre. <laughs> it was like, Bleh. Next, you have no cards left. And literally half the time, they're like, Prosperous keeper and, uh, you know, Forest. Go. <laughs> that was a great use of 10 mana, buddy. Right, yeah, you know? Yeah. So that card is super high variance. It can be really, really powerful if your opponent is not playing cards like Meat Hook Massacre and Blood in the Snow. But if you're playing Meat Hook Massacre and Blood in the Snow, Sword of the vessels decks are, like, beyond not scary. It takes a long time to win, but you just basically never lose.
0: What's that of cleansing card that you've been popularizing? Oh, that's good. Devastating, Devastating Mastery.
1: Mastery. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I got wrecked playing against one of your blue-white yeah. devastating mastery decks with my festival deck the other day. There's no way I could ever grind out against that card. That's a paradigm-shifting
2: card, I think, because previously the kind of black control decks could attack on multiple different, you know, they're all on the battlefield, but you got to pick if you're going to, you know, doomscar their creatures, you're going to pick if you're going to fight their planeswalkers, you know, something of those treasures and clues sitting, you know, they're giving you clues, they're sitting out there, but one devastating mastery, it truly is devastating. It
1: is. That card, I I wish I'd caught it a little sooner, like my very first versions of Blue-White, but as soon as I found so many times I was in a battlefield against a Renin-7 and a Chariot and all these creatures on the board, it was like, you gotta clean the whole battlefield. And Devastating Mastery has been lurking, and the mana's awkward because you need four white sources, but those new dual lands really make it easy you know because now you can like they enter the battlefield untapped they're, they're just so clean I love it so I think like what would happen is if you did that blood in the snow would
2: go like this and then I think people would just realize that they can play blue white or even blue black decks without Iron's Epiphany that are very good and devastating mastery based blue white decks if those became popular they would just utterly dominate the black control decks right you can just make them so they always win right and then because yeah. the black control deck can't put enough pressure on you you have to kind of agree to let their cards matter if you're the blue white deck. And sometimes you do. But if you're just like, all right, I'm gonna ignore everything that you do. And I, you know, it's just drawing a faithful mendings, then you're probably not gonna die to their one one and one four attackers <laughs> until you've, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah you man. know, flashed back a, a bunch of card draw. I, I think is also I mean is really potentially very impressive. And you know those cards, those decks rather don't don't rely on Albertan's Epiphany. I actually think Alan's Epiphany, its presence in the format is going to allow right now if you leave it there, allow great deck design innovations, right? So CGP, you shared with me, I think a screenshot of a black control deck, siding test of talents in them. Why wouldn't we just play some tests? You're going to say play play best of one. When you start with a mono black control deck, shave a land, cut out the Tibalt, right? So you took out the most expensive card, take out the Tibalt, add two test of talents, swap out the mountain. I play. I don't know. You know I don't know if you play a mountain. I uh, swap the mountain I play for an island. And let's go, right? Like, you know, yep. I think two test of talents is more than enough to stop all the Alruns epiphanies that they tap out for, right? If somebody's going to like, all right, tucking an Alren's epiphany, I'm going to take an eight mana turn. They don't have any mana left over to combat you when you test of talents them. And then their twin cast thing now fizzles, right? So, you know, I think yeah. that it's cool. It creates these pockets of innovation. And obviously the black deck then gets worse against green. It gets worse against white. By playing cards like Tested Talents, which essentially have no text, right? Like, w- what yeah. would you ever test the talents in the white deck? Nothing. Plus There's one. Nothing. Plus one card. You know, it's just nothing. You could test a brawl. You could test a, you know, some other fight spell. You know, pump spell, but. It's not exciting.
1: Yeah, I love the idea, though, that against like those control decks, you might have a Field of Ruin sitting on the battlefield, right? And like three Swamps, you know. And they go for their big combo. Oh. You can sacrifice your Field of Ruin, and you go fetch yeah. an Island, and go Test of Talents. Get <laughs> oh my God, I, I love it Get so em. much.
2: I, I'm just scared to play 23 lands. Maybe yeah. it's silly, right? So I have, you know, 23 lands, for i Twitch, four, 4 specimens. You know, that's kind of a lot of land, right? But- it can
1: be. Yeah, the environmental sciences just ties that room together. Because you don't need the turn three to be super man efficient. There's nothing you really want to play. Well, it'd be, yeah, but now if I'm going to play an island, am I going to go? Oh, I
2: better have some archaics in my sideboard. <laughs> How fancy am I going <laughs> to become as a result of this
1: one island? Oh, love it. That, that's juicy greed. I like it.
2: I mean, there's maniacs who have green artifact removal in their sideboard you know that are just they're just playing it off of treasures
0: it's the treasure yeah I keep exactly. trying
1: that and I never done it. it it seems like I don't think I've ever containment breached something from mono black but I think that it would be a different animal <coughs> with a card like test of talents because it can just win the game on the spot it feels like oh it's it's so exciting
2: there's a school of thought that says that if you get excited by the thought of like playing a deck a certain way or something that you've you've already lost right like you, you can't be excited Ooh. cool things are dangerous you know you you have to you have to be even, Stephen. But I I'm still excited. I I can't wait to try main deck test of talents. Although it'll, I'll be sad to say goodbye to Tibalt, unless you can tell me somebody else to cut.
1: I I don't have
0: it. I'm curious about that, Michael J. So when you when you're main decking this test of talents, and then your matchups on the ladder are just mono green, mono green, mono white, mono green, right? Which is what I expect is what I expect to happen after looking at these SCG tour results. Like, is that ultimately where you're going to want to end up being? You're not losing to those. I mean, right now,
2: right? You have a seven drop in your deck and. Another, we're talking about having a seven drop in your deck and another land, right? So it'd be some percentage yeah. of the time that you will mulligan more by having one fewer land in your deck. But seven drop is like, hyper medium against those decks if you live long enough to cast it anything that costs five six or seven mana is going to win the game for you so it's kind of arbitrary i think you just like draw specimens late and then just you know loot the test of talents away and hope whatever the top card of your library is is better if that's if that's what's appropriate it's not bad it's not great but Right now, I think you're, if you're a black control deck, you're generally, I don't know what everybody's win percentage is, you know, but like, I don't feel great playing against, uh, you know, a first turn Hall of Storm Giants, right? Like, no matter what comes after the Hall of Storm Giants, I know that I have to, like, you know, mute Grace and Frankie, put down my coffee, and then look at the screen real intently in a way that I don't have to if uh, my opponent's just like first heard snow-covered forest go
0: right. yeah
2: first turn snow-covered forest go is just like oh man i'm that much closer to today's daily gold quest you know <laughs> it's, just, it's just it's like a you know a factual yeah. statement almost so you get to pay attention I certainly win some of the time not nearly as much And so i think like you know snow-covered plains you'll win maybe a little bit less but
0: you usually win so you, you've got room as much as saying you've got a little room to play with there
2: and I just, I just don't think it's that bad, right? Like at some point, what are you even getting with your lesson learned? Usually just get my, my environmental sciences yep. and just scry once or something. And I, I went down to one mascot exhibition. I was just never winning with it, right? Like the second mascot exhibition, I would discard to hand size in like, <laughs> so often
0: i've actually been cutting that card from like all but my most creatureless of decks right because sometimes you do need a win con or something but apart from that i've actually just been running none of them really i think you need to keep them honest though right because that's true if if you guys are playing best of one
2: i'm you know i used to be all best of three but i think in part because of cgb's videos i I became much more of a best of one person in the last couple of months (laughs) You know, if you're playing a lot of best of one, you're certainly over indexing for lesson learned sideboards, right? Like people don't Mm -hmm. play lesson learned sideboards and best of three at nearly the same rate. You have to assume they have at least one mascot exhibition, even if they're playing like, you know, green, white Magecraft. They've yeah. got a mascot exhibition in their sideboard. Yep. So you need to keep them honest, right? Mm-hmm. So you know you want to be a situation where like, okay, I played a great attrition game for 10 turns and I'm like, you know, 5% ahead of you. And then they're like, all right, seven drop, 100 power, go. And you're like, uh, I better draw one of my bombs here, right? Like, you know, and you're staring at a, I don't know, annihilation or something.
1: I like this because when like, Huey Jensen made a video with black, white blood on the snow during 2022 standard, and the only change he made from the first list that I posted was he went up to four mascot exhibitions. Wow. And four? Also, wow Yeah, four. And <laughs> also when Brad Nelson played it on his stream, he went up on mascot exhibition because he's like, oh, I just see how this plays out. because. It was kind of, aside from like All Runs Epiphany Goldspan Dragon, it was like the format ceiling for all the other control mid-range deck was just like spamming mascot exhibition. That's weird to me. I that, mean, I that think... was 2022. By the end of 2022, I had gone to your, I think it's
2: almost, man, it's probably like 59 out of 60 or whatever the same as your Rakdos list. Like, I think I played more loth or something, but- uh, that was clearly the best blood on the snow deck against blood on the snow decks. Cause you're yeah. just like, nobody can beat an Emerson predator fair and square in 2022. Like now Emerson predator is a joke. You tap one mana and you kill it. Like, but, but back then you're like, it came in under blood on the snow. <laughs> <laughs> and it lived through blood on the snow. You know, it ate their lolf. it ate their Liliana, whatever they got. If I've been using this term wrong, I use the term blood money to describe any black snow-based deck that has a treasure engine. But it seemed to me from watching some subsequent videos of yours that you were specifically talking about black white decks as blood money decks. Talk to me about that, CGB. I don't like to use the wrong I, term.
1: I rarely name my decks. Like it's something I don't do. I
2: always well. name my decks. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, so this was fresh for me, and I thought "Blood Money" was an awesome name because it had Kaya, who's an assassin, and it had the Skullport Merchant, who you know, and has the treasure yeah, for the money. So I was just like, "It's a sweet name." And in my, it's head, a sweet it, name. Thank you. It's right? descriptive,
2: also. Yeah. My names are like a lightsaber. I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah. Why is that like, a lightsaber? It, well, you know, we we had a previous version that was Excalibur. This is a. <laughs> This is a, a different sword
1: type. <laughs> I, I could listen to a podcast about you describing the names of the decks that you guys did over the years. <laughs> There's an episode of uh, UMCG
2: Taps, you know, uh, Big Head Joe and, and Joey Pascoe's podcast that Patrick Chapin and I recorded in, at U.S. Nationals 2010. And the whole second half, and they were like, these guys are just, you know. We had never met them in real life, I think, right? And they're like, oh, we're all going to U.S. Nationals. Let's all be buddies, right? So let's record a podcast together. And Patrick and I, I think, talked for an hour about the meaning of different lightsaber colors and their implications on the character of a person. (laughs) And then like a long thing about uh, my thoughts on recycling and pa- Patrick's conclusion at the end was that he would, he would vote for me for president based on my thoughts on recycling.
1: So, you know, you could look that one up. It's an old episode. I'm going to dig. I might dig for that one. I was going to say the blood also applies to the blood on the snow, like cycling back to the name thing in my head. It's always the black white deck, but I've heard it used by everybody else to describe what you're saying. Like, any blood on the snow treasure strategy because that is like that's all it takes the treasure and the blood equals blood money so that's what I thought based
2: on context clues but then then like when I just watched you play against black white decks and then you had become insistent on the use of blood money almost in, in, in those cases and I was just like have I been using this wrong the whole way yeah. it's like when I was in high school I kept using the word besmirch when I meant the word begrudge <laughs> and like I went through all through high school using the word besmirch
1: and I mean it makes me crazy now i haven't been in high school for like 30 years <laughs> so okay i'm gonna save you know in my head it was it was the black white deck for a long time but the term now belongs to the community so we'll just talk about all the blood on the snow and treasure decks can be blood money decks i think i think that's fair you just open sourced it michael j love it
2: that's very magnanimous of uh of cgb do you want to talk about sandy dog mtg's mono green list because i think it's among other things you know sandy dog mtg with a Is that a forest in play? I mean, like, did he read it wrong? That's, you know, that doesn't (laughs) tap me. This is not going to make a very big wild
1: in the cattle. I hate to tell you, right? (laughs) (laughs) Sandy Dog is known as very aggressive and usually red. A very, very red mage (laughs) who's dabbled in gruel and dabbled in Boros. But for the most part, we'll play mono red wherever he can. And going mono green here, going four ren and seven mono green here, which oh my gosh I didn't know he he played value planeswalkers in the main deck (laughs) they
2: listed this as mono green aggro this is like way more mid range even than I think than the mid range mono green deck that you had posted a couple of weeks ago this is not that aggro to
0: me yeah he's certainly looking to like get his party started like turn four five six right so I totally agree I mean those are usually the turns in a lot of these stompy decks where you're looking to kind of overwhelm your opponent and close out the game you know even if you're not actually winning on turn four you're looking to effectively win on turn four. So yeah, I mean, he's definitely just slowing the game down and trying to win on the later turns and actually build like a really kind of chonky, thick board presence, right? So yeah. What is chonky that's like the (laughs) pioneer red deck with four drops
2: (laughs) yeah that's like a lot of cards that are two mana more expensive than you should have in this format todd
0: anderson right wasn't that kind of a deck that he really got into in pioneer for a while there so yeah exactly it's a little little bit more of the philosophy of what i see going on here so i think it's
1: interesting that in this format uh with the all runs epiphany going way over the top that this kind of four run and 7 main deck less beat down where where other people were running unnatural growth like i've been seeing that in mono greenless on ladder and in some of these results the double the power and toughness uh, of yeah. that your that creatures card. As the five drop. Oh, we got opinions on that.
2: Here's a funny thing. You actually have to have creatures in play
0: for the, for the thing to double its power and toughness. Yeah. The trigger still goes. Even there's nobody in play. (laughs) You know, yeah, great in aggro matchups, terrible against Blood on the Snow. I'm sure Michael J's been licking his lips every time he sees that card come down. Is it great in aggro matchups? I feel like a lot, it depends on how the games progress, right? Like,
2: there's a whole philosophy, which is like, if you go second, just trade off as much as you can, and then you'll be one card ahead, right? So, I I don't know if you want to, I don't know if you want to even draw that card if somebody's trying to trade off on you. I I think that MTG's deck is is really surprising to me like old growth troll seems like one of the most problematic cards in that deck if i lose to the mono green deck playing any of the black decks it's because of old growth troll that guy's highly resilient against mass removal and he tramples over the two spiders that you put in front of him to kill your lull right like it's odd to me to cut that and then add in my opinion and maybe my opinion is horribly wrong because sanded mcg is of course a grand prix champion you know Replacing it with one Briarbridge Tracker, which has less toughness and and way less trample for the same amount
1: of mana. But it has two less green pips in the casting cost. I think this is Sandy saying, I want four Faceless Haven in my deck, mm. and I'm not going to compromise on that. I, tw- I'm with you. I love the troll. But he has 20 sources of primary green, right? In addition to
2: 16 Soakover Force, he has four Kazandu Mammoth. Yep. That's true. He's got a lot of green, mana. I don't think pipses are an issue. I mean, doesn't everybody play for Faceless Haven? The thing that's more surprising is there's no field ruin in this main deck. There's no field ruin right. anywhere.
0: Is it is an interesting choice because so he's running the full eight creature lands that he can, right? And I think in part that's because he's running the Renin Seven. You know, if you're going to hit a land off Ren of Renin Seven, it might as well be a, a late game creature land that can actually potentially win you the game. But I do agree that it's it's so he's kind of positioning himself as more of the aggressor, right? the defender i mean obviously if you're running field of ruin that's because you're actually worried about getting swung on by your opponent's land so maybe he just thinks well i'm going to have the board locked off, and i'm just going to try to be the aggressor here i actually thought field of ruin
2: was important to play just as a check against the entire metagame like because this deck can't really it doesn't express an opinion on somebody going off against you with book of exalted deeds right? I think like, you have to kind of acknowledge that that exists at some level, or you'll always lose to it, right? Like, that's the, that's a problem, especially if you're not playing the fastest version of this aggregate, he's playing like the third fastest version, they just, you know, gain four life a couple of times, and they go off and you you've literally no recourse. I don't know. I know it's not popular. But like, it's a reason it shouldn't it be kind of popular. It's it is a powerful strategy. People don't have Emergent ultimatums anymore
1: there's a tiny tiny bit of recourse there's an outland liberator we got we got a one of in the main deck for survival mechanism and then there's three tangle traps in the sideboard which i always forget because i think of it as a Goldspan dragon killer but it has that instant speed destroy target artifact but you can't stop
2: them if they just destroy all your creatures a couple of times and then do it all in one turn
1: right yeah it's true if they are running the if their board wipe game plan is going according to plan you're you're probably in trouble. I, I think that that deck, the Book of Exalted Deeds, needs to kind of pick up in meta share because I agree. I don't think Sandy's really respecting it for this tournament. Imagine for a second. Or first of all, the deck that I'm going to describe is probably
2: not very good against Black Blue, for example, right? But like, what if you were just like, all right, I'm a mono white deck, but my mono white includes blue white cards like Faithful faithful mending it's faithful mending yeah. right i'm going to be able to dig through my deck better because i have cards like this but even more than that if i'm in an unconvenient un- matchup i can get rid of the things that i don't want with a faithful mending i mean this is like also a convenient way to just trigger book of exalted deeds right so i think that deck could be made with like a bunch of devastating masteries and it would be you could i don't know because i'm not describing a, a deck in detail i'm describing some concepts around the deck i think you could make it so that it would raffle stomp black control and never lose to mono green or mono white right like
1: oh i like this
2: like never
1: like where this is going right
2: so basically you're like okay what are the decks that are left black blue other blue white and blue red decks how many tests of talents do you have to have in your deck so you never lose to blue red because your deck is already full of wraths there's only two ways that blue red decks win they win by time walking you 100 times or they win with a dragon in play or like a giant. Right. But like a giant is just a bad drag. Right. Like it's not yeah, <laughs> it's not complicated yeah. to flip your doom scar over. right? Yeah. So like you could actually make a deck. You're just like, OK, if you just look at this on the fundamentals, they should be way ahead because they have all these control elements and I have all these creature kill elements. But if you just acknowledge the fact that they only ever win with creatures and they actually literally need to attack you more than one time with their 4-4 flying creature in order to win the game, like, you have a window to blow that thing up. You know, how many tested talents you need to have in your deck now to make that matchup very, very solid. So you're now constricting the number of available decks that you can lose to, to black, blue, and other blue-white decks, and your Book of Exalted Deeds packets can just get them if yeah. you're patient because those decks take a long time to win like what if i sit there for a long time and i never try to actually kill you until after i've used all of my field of ruins on all of your field of ruins like that's the game i'm gonna play now i'm gonna try to win what do you got like two emryths to win the game like it's this isn't a fast opponent right <laughs> like i don't know seems I, to me no, like that I, would be a thing that people could try to do and it would be great against
1: green and white meta i do think that like control is better now than it's been in so long. I, I think it's such a much better option in this standard than it was for about two years. Like real, very few win cons play the ultra long game of just sizing up your threats with my answers and I will eventually win Control. Arjuna, what do you think?
0: So cards like Memory Deluge, right? I think that's like a return to the kind of cards that would have made an old school control mage salivate, right? You know, I'm sure Michael J, when you read that card, your eyebrows probably raised a fair amount, right? Because it's just, it's the kind of card that can actually give a control deck like the power and the grind that I think that it was missing for a while there, you know, and especially, you know, now that we've lost cards like Shock, Typhoon and whatever, we need incentives, right? We need those cards that really make us think, OK, you know, I really have a trump or I really have something that can put me over the top. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think control is definitely looking better than it has for a while. I also think just that the threats, like if the best threat that you can put on the board these days is what? Just like some cheap kind of go wide white creatures or maybe this, you know, werewolf pack leader three three for two mana you know these aren't the kind of cards that control can't beat right whereas i think like in in the previous meta games you know it was like let's have fun trying to beat rogues right let's have fun trying to beat like you know all like you know these mono red decks that just somehow would so consistently able to like keep pounding your face and keep giving you problems right so i just i don't feel like we have the same level of kind of threats you know cheap nasty horrible things that can go wrong by turn four things that can always go bump in the night right like like we did in the previous format so yeah i don't know i think control's looking looking great
2: how many times a day do you play against like a like a goblin javelinier or like a <laughs> bat- a battle cry like, uh, it, it's how many times? it's been a while it's been a while <laughs> really I, I i think i play against that at least once a day. And I'm I'm really happy for that other person. <laughs> I'm like, that person is living the life that they want to live. Oh, like, my gosh. They're going to be really, really annoyed by the number of pests that I summon in the first five turns of the game. <laughs> but-
0: uh, well, and I, I wonder how you specifically feel about this, Michael J., because you're I know that you've been a preeminent red mage and a, and a mono red mage for many, many that's Right? <laughs> All right, so I wrote an article once about red, and then people were
2: like, oh, wow, you're just like this red guy. i would never played red and standard, you know, in
0: really until like 2018 or something. I, yeah, I never. Played maybe red. I'm like thinking back uh, longer in top level than I thought I had. But I, I. I'm a
2: mono, I mean, when I say mono-red, I mean also Boros, you know, Naya or whatever. Mono-red player in Modern. And I was playing a lot of Modern. for like, It was my favorite paper format to play in. And I you know, travel and, you know, go to SCG tournaments or whatever to play Modern. And I thought a lot, I mean, I just really thought a lot about it, right? So it was important to me to have like a mastery of understanding how to play red decks in Modern. And I really enjoyed it and i'm probably very vocal about it and i i went on a run i won a bunch of tournaments with it also so i think like that was sort of a snowballing thing so i'm like i won the first one and then once you win the third one and you're just like oh yeah yeah, yeah. red's real good and i'm really good at red and like people like to watch me play it people like to watch me talk about it and like so is it maybe it's it creates a a monster that's bigger than it it really ever was but i I won a P like the first PPTQ I won with mono, red is was like 2017 or something, 2016, something like that. So I, I played it in legacy. My friend, Patrick Sullivan, you know, made a mono red deck. And he was just like, if you're frustrated playing blue decks and you don't draw four so well on the right turn, just play this. And I cashed with it on the star city tour a bunch of times. I had never, never won an event, but I just liked it. So I had written a lot about red. There was a, there was a format, I think a, an extended format around 2004, 2005, where I really developed a mastery of playing the Red Mirror, especially. So I was really interested in that. But like, I literally never played it in Standard until I think 27, which is probably crazy to you. And then I, you know... I liked Experimental Friendly. That was a good card. I
0: just I just remember, like, repeated episodes of Top Level where, like, Patrick Chapin's just giving you a hard time for being, like, some born-again, you know, red mage on the arena ladder or something. Or <laughs> Juna, I'll just, I'll tell you this, man. Sometimes it's just a character, right? Like, we're making content, right? Like,
2: sometimes I'm... Talking to my friend, you know, like you know, a lot of the time I'm talking to my friend, I'm doing a pleasant activity that we both enjoy and is a consistent, you know, tentpole in our lives. But you know, we are doing it for an audience. So, so we get we get to peer behind like, the curtain a little bit here. Yeah. I think we added episode once it's just like you and I play same 75. We both play a scalding hard in the first turn. Against the same opponent, they have very different suspicions about what's going to be on the other
0: end of that scalding tar. <laughs> oh, yeah. Indeed. So
1: you know that that was just that was kind of our shtick, you know. So well, just uh, I, I don't understand this whole character thing. I've never. No. Seen that. Well, <laughs> never. You know. No, never you know, second. it's
0: all real a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> Love it, love it. So just getting back a little bit to this mono green aggro thing, I've been seeing some of these mages on the ladder actually taking a shell like this and then actually, just putting a little extra top end on it with that storm, the festival, right? They see a deck with four Ren and seven. They see a deck with four Seeker's Chariot, and then they think, well, you know what's better than you know better than chocolate? Let's go double chocolate, right? So what what do you guys? Double chocolate is. Good, I mean, man. double chocolate. <laughs> I like it's it. Not bad, I'm right? It's, bad. it's not bad. Like, so ganache filled brownies. So right? like, <laughs> so why do you guys think that Sandy said, "Nah, nah, I'm cool. You know, I'm cool with having my top end just be ran and seven like let's let's stop at that what do you think
2: ran and seven and Asika's chariot is already very powerful like how powerful do you have to be <laughs> yep I mean, at Good some question. point you're you're at a diminishing returns like you don't need to win by a thousand winning by one isn't
1: yep and there's that ceiling on the format right if you're gonna rely on Casting Storm the Festival, having big hits, and then winning the next turn, you might just get all the turns taken on you. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that.
2: I also think Storm the Festival, even when it's working for you, makes you increasingly bad against Meat Hook Massacre and Blood on the Snow. Like you're talking about a card that literally just puts more creatures in play, right? Like, oh yeah. <laughs> even if the, the creature is a thirteen thirteen Planeswalker token, right? It's just another creature. It doesn't make you win at not make you win more. It doesn't
1: make you win at all. If your opponent's defense is to be sweeping all the creatures. Michael's J doesn't know, but there's this behind the scenes tug of war going on because before the set came out, our podcast, we Arjuna and I got into a huge debate about Storm the Fest and I was very much for the card. In that I thought it was a very cool card. People were going to love playing it. And that in like mirrors of the same decks doing the same things like mid range, just stuff that the person with one or two storm the festivals would be on top. And Arjuna was like, that card is garbage. <laughs> I was very so much, a cynic. A, very much a cynic. enjoying this a lot. Very much a cynic
2: of the card. So- <laughs> I think that a card is very good, but I think it's all context, right? So mm-hmm. here's an example we were kind of brainstorming. Let's say you're going to play the big event in regular magic. So not best of one magic, but you still wanted to play a blood money type deck in a big event. Like what you want to do in a format where people have sideboards, like real sideboards where they can bring in cards, like go blank. Like when was I said, either of you played against a go blank. Yeah. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. Imagine playing against a go blank. Right. And like around turn five, well, you don't, you haven't built your hand up really big yet. Right. You might be super boned by one go blank. Right. Mm. Like it, it depletes your graveyard. I I think like it's a very natural thing for black decks to sideboard cards like that in against other black decks. And so you get a a tremendous advantage by just having that card. So what you want to do in designing your sideboard for, for an event like this is like to create a bunch of angles where somebody can't just beat you. Like, so If you're just like, all right, I'm going to do more of the same. I'm going to go like triple down on like powerful Planeswalkers or Dependency on Blood in the Snow, or maybe I'll tutor things better or whatever. You just get worse and worse against their random two for one that can kill your graveyard. But what you get better at is if you just add a card like Storm the Festival to a Blood in the Snow deck, now you've created this huge amount of variance, but you also have the capability to put Loth and Ren and Seven in play at the same time. That is a powerful thing to do off the top of your deck, right? So I think that you were just like, all right, I'm going to be in a situation where we're changing the paradigm instead of the paradigm being both of us go to the end game and it's all of my blood on the snows against all of your blood on the snows. What we're going to do is change the paradigm because there's going to be cards like Eye Tyrant. There's going to be cards like Go Blank that are going to limit the ability for us to just make it all about who draws the most blood on the snows. What if we shift the paradigm to be who gets the most value out of their treasures and their Skullport merchants, right? Just like tiny, tiny exchanges because nobody's doing that much damage, right? So like with with time, we're going to change that paradigm and that like you can flip this script by casting one, one Storm of festivals. I think that if you do that, in A blood on the snow mirror, not in like these like Storm of the Festival decks, that's very difficult for the opponents to be because they are already challenged by the four blood on the snow versus four blood on the snow paradigm, mm. right? Like they were already in a situation where they need their blood on the snows just to combat your regular Planeswalkers, to combat your blood on the snows. If you now have this, and then you can now do it again if they don't empty your graveyard in the ensuing turn, that's tremendously powerful in that context.
0: I, th- I think, like, the
2: Selesnia deck or the, you know, whatever variants with, like, Vance or whatever are also very powerful. They just don't happen to be good against decks that have multiple Meat Hook Massacre and four blood on the snow, which is the only decks I own, right? So if I... <laughs> If I hadn't taken a year off of Arena, I probably could afford to play other decks. But I used all my wild cards on CGB's 2022 deck, and so this is what I've got. And so I have to pretend like it's the best deck because I don't have any choices, right? Um, and if it's a very good deck, I don't know if it's the best. But, you know, if all you're ever doing is casting the Hook massacres Blood on the nose, then the guy that's putting a bunch of creatures in play and then spends 10 minutes to put even more creatures in play (laughs) Right before you cast your, you know, reanimating Wrath of God. I mean like Yeah, it's not impressive to you.
1: Michael J, you are the true voice of the people because (laughs) I get that comment every day about how people like a deck and they need me to fix it or update it and stuff because it's the only deck they have.
2: (laughs) I need to respond to something Arjuna said earlier about deluge, right? Okay. So I finally cobbled together five thousand gold. Uh (laughs) By quick draft today. And I opened Tolvar and I'm like, I really wanted to force Black Blue, but I took the Tolvar. By the end of the draft, I had two siphon insights and a deluge. They Ooh. all made it into my deck. But I'm like, <laughs> you know, so second pick, there's a there's a siphon insight in the in the pack. And I'm like, all right, I took a Tolivar first pick, and there is definitely a red, green, werewolf card in this pack that would make my deck if I were gonna play red green werewolves. But I'm like, but before the draft started, I had told myself I wanted to play black blue, and let's be honest. The whole point of Quick Draft is to open packs so that I can accrue wild cards so I can get the Siphon Insight. (laughs) I'm just taking the Siphon Insight. And I was more Siphon Insights. And you know what? When I win no games in this draft, (laughs) I will be ahead. (laughs) And, okay, also I need to thank CGB. Up until his, like, Vampire Burn video from last week, it had never occurred to me to play in those gold grinding events I just, all I ever did was play ladder. Like, I don't know why anybody, now I'm like, why does anybody play ladder? These gold grinding events are insane. Yeah. I 7-0 more than 75% of them. Like, <laughs> they're like really, really efficient for accruing, you know, gold for me to play quick drafts that I can go 0-3 in. Uh, so, <laughs> But they're just, you know, they're, three times as efficient than if you're just trying to get those resources on on the mythic ladder and you know what's the downside if i don't make mythic because i played in all these gold grinding events instead of playing on the ladder isn't that really just like one one of those events wins is the
0: equivalent to the prize oh, delta? it's embarrassing you
2: it is i it is and that's insane <laughs> <It's> embarrassing like <laughs> so i did mythic last month in i didn't play 21 hours i did in 21 hours right so i wildcarded in seven and 21 hours later i was mythic right so and i you know i played five hours or something right so that was a really that was a really fast grind you know in other months i've had to play multiple days to to get to mythic right but if you think about the return on getting to mythic and then not winning the ptq right it's (laughs) It's not a higher re- high time to reward thing. Uh and you know, if you just enjoy playing magic, prizes are way better in the gold grinding thing. And I need to thank you. This is this is like the scales came off of my eyes. I, I think I'm gonna be a silver Standard four four player <laughs> perennially now. <laughs> because my, my my rank will, will erode, right? Like yeah, you know, I'm, I'm platinum this season, but that means I'm going to be, you know, gold next season or silver or something, and I'll just, I'll just settle on bronze and be like the richest bronze, yeah. bronze and so much richer for it. Yeah, yeah. All your I, listeners should should do the gold grinding events. The the,
1: the ladder is, is a trap. It's such a trap.
0: It's the ladder's always been a trap. I mean, can we just, <laughs> can we just get that one out there? I mean, the matchmaking's weird. Everything about it's weird, right? So. Yeah. You can just make Mythic on unlimited. On you don't play Limited. Arjuna, do you play Limited? I, I do. I do occasionally. It's been a long time. I was like Mr. Build My Set playing Limited kind of a guy for like so long. But you know what? I think this is what I came to. The reason I was so compelled to do that was that I just didn't want to get Ember Cleaved again, right? I've reached this point. I remember during the Omnath days, I was just like, thank God for Limited, my friends. Thank <laughs> I, I
2: took. <laughs> I was so off of it that I didn't even log in to get the four omnaths so that I could get so the you could get the wild, wild cards.
0: cards. Yeah, I, I just didn't
2: log in that day. And I'm just like, if you're like, look, I know you're not playing right now, but just, just, just get the free wild cards. I'm like, I can't make it. it would require me hitting a whole button, <laughs> spending up you know thirty five seconds and, in the client to get these. on. And then
0: I'd have to look at that smug elemental for five seconds too. <laughs> you know, it was weird. Like I didn't even try. Like last
2: month, I was two ticks from mythic and, and limited. Mm. And if I you know, if I had had another 14 minutes because I was just like oh my god I can I could do a draft now there's 14 minutes I have to have a you know not lose a bunch but I if you if you make mythic and limited you'll nest really high right so you just nest at 500 it's not like I I, I was just like this is a hustle because when I made mythic you know two weeks ago I you know you start 92 percent is that about where you start yeah. I went somewhere between five and seven matches in a row and my rank didn't move. Mm. And I was just like, this is insane. Wow. But twice wow. I lost and my rank went up. So I <laughs> was just like, you've got the, there's got the no, <laughs> right. Like <laughs> terrible secret sauce, right? Like,
0: yeah, yeah, even, like if
2: you lose again, then you lose three points or something. Right. I went to like, I went to 94 to 95, losing a match once. And I was just like, this doesn't no sense. And I won a bunch in a row and I was just always 94.
1: I, I can't lie. Like the last week of the season, where I just didn't play. I think I started my camp at like rank 32 and ended at 52 for the last week. Like that was my decay. And I played standard events. I was so happy. Yeah, but the standard I, events are a happy such- person. I had so much more gold. Time. It was great.
2: You can just, I think, if, you, if it's important to you, I, mean, I like to do it, right? Like, you just grind a mythic for the bragging, right? But, like, what do you get for being mythic, right? Like, you, if you're top 1,200, then you get to play in an event that has one winner. That is the the path to glory there, right? Yep. I, I don't know, man. I've won a for lot of PTQs and paper. It is way easier than
1: playing at a 1,200 person. <laughs> for content creators, the basically the status indicator that having a mythic badge gives you it, it plays. It matters. And that's, that's something I learned a lot in making content with and without. It's been really awesome now that I've come back to trying events that people are supportive of it. Because when I figured out that, because I was playing events like two years ago on my channel and telling people ladder is ridiculous. Why do it? Like the rewards are this versus this. But as soon as I started playing ladder and started playing in Mythic every day like views went up and I got a lot less of the why are you playing unranked? Why are you playing these good decks and unranked kind of snark comments. But
2: I think to be not just fair, but supportive of your comment, I think one of the reasons why, you know, you stood out to me so much as an impressive content creator was like you were just doing kind of the good version of what i had been trying to do for a lot of years like you just playing bruise every day like here's some like Eliwick nonce i literally spent wild cards on some Eliwicks because you you had them first right so i'm like i'll I'll (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, cgp is
1: like in you know mid 500 Uh, mythic with this
2: i'm sorry yeah
1: whatever man you're welcome i'm not sure which
2: (laughs) so the thing was just like he must be really good because he just he plays his creative decks and he goes out of his way to play different decks every day but he can sustain a mythic rank right and I mean as somebody who for you know most of the existence of arena is held down like a full-time job in addition to doing creative projects and my own projects and I have a family and all this stuff For somebody who's in that position who has a more limited amount of time to play arena versus versus other endeavors just getting to mythic is very challenging for most of us for most of the time right like in like I said in this one case I did it super fast right but I think most of the time you're talking about, you know, like grinding through Diamond is arduous for most people. I literally lost twice as many matches at Diamond Tick 1-1 than I lost in all the rest of Diamond. Dude,
0: what is up with that, man? I don't know if I have ever won my winning in for Mythic the first time ever. There's something there. There's something there. I lost... Three times,
2: got back, lost twice. Well, the first time I lost three times, that, that was as many matches I had lost all through Diamond. So I was just like, oh, no, is it going to be one of those times? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to fall to Diamond 2? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so like, an hour later, I'm at Diamond 1, and I like, lost twice. I'm like, oh, I thought I was going to make it. Then <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I only lost one more time. But I lost six times at 1-1, and I only lost three times, you know. In all of Diamond 4, Diamond 3, etc.
1: Okay, I'll throw it to both of you. Start with Arjuna. Have you ever taken the Great
0: Fall? Diamond, one win from Mythic all the way to Diamond 4. Have you ever done it? Ooh, you know, I think Diamond 3. I've gotten down to Diamond 3. I don't think I've ever hit the rock bottom. No.
1: Michael?
2: No. If I ever get that close, I just make it. <laughs> okay.
0: Okay. But that's I mean, make...
2: A lot of months I'm just like, I'm just in Platinum and I'm sick of playing against Winoda. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it was really compelling to me when, when you were doing the standard 2022 content, because I'm just stupid, I guess, like, I don't know about gold grinding events, you know, for a long time, I just opened packs, people were like, why don't you play in drafts? So I'm like, what is this? What are you talking about playing? in so it basically costs the same, then I get additional packs. But those are the packs that you open to play in the draft. I'm like oh, interesting <laughs> like i was just taking all my gold and opening packs and never getting a gem we got it yeah i don't know if there's somebody wrote a guide somewhere about how to play arena but you know i i'd never played a gold grinding events until last week it never occurred to me to play standard 2022 i'm like what's this weird not real format i'm not gonna play it so I was just like banging my head against the wall playing against winota every day and it's just not like winota's unbeatable it's just like i'm never happy like yeah. if, I, if i beat winota it's because they missed and because they have stupid one three dwarf in their deck, which is like they have all these unplayable cards in their deck. Like, I have one three dwarf, get there, you know. Like, and yeah. then, they're like, then they miss, and you're like, yeah, I, I won against Winota, go figure. And then when you lose, it's just because they won the lottery, and there was no skill in either game, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I lost no skill, won no skill, so it's just super unsatisfying. But like, the 2022 format was so varied, and like, I love the formats, which just like, I'm just gonna change one card, and I'm like, Angling this mirror a certain way, and I've I've got Emerson Predator, and apparently I had Ellie Wick. I own four now. Thanks a lot, man. Uh, <laughs> it was way better. I wanted to make that blue green deck that our Juno likes, right? But yeah. I had used too many. I, I, the first day when I came back, they put it on the phone. Throne was the quick draft format, and I just never lost, mm. right? So I had accumulated all these all these resources from, from Throne quick drafts, and I blew all the wild cards I had trying to make a white weenie deck for Standard 2022 and somehow just used them on all the wrong rares. So, like, I, I somehow own, like, one aspirant and, like, two two clay <laughs> apparitions but i have Ooh, like riddle. four warhounds four of the what's the the three mana enchantment that like uh oh yeah I, i'm like oh, oh. Yeah, this is definitely going to my deck right oh. <laughs> so i just wasn't thinking i was just like oh, i'm just gonna these rares seem like they just don't see play because of winota and Emergent ultimatum they're gonna be good in this format And i didn't look at any lists so i'm just like and then I you know, I start playing, I'm like, oh yeah, I really should have gotten aspirants because I'm playing the mirror match and they're making plus one plus one counters and I'm just losing because my guys are
0: all small still. Truly a man of the people, Michael J. You you will undoubtedly be one of the most popular guests we've ever had on this show. So have you had a lot of guests? <laughs> I mean <laughs> we it, we've we've had plenty. We've had plenty. It's been a while though. It's been a while.
1: Arjuna started the podcast and every week was a different guest for months, right? Like six months. Like, yeah yeah before yeah, before
0: I joined the team before the, the magic duo settled in indeed but uh yeah it's a pleasure to have you here and uh, you're speaking directly to the hearts and minds of, <laughs> of our audience and they're going to love this
1: I'm I'm curious you know given how the Meta's shaping up and this new standard format and Worlds coming up on October 8th, I wanted to know what we thought would show up. So I was going to go around the table. Arjuna, do you want to go first? What are you predicting for Worlds given what's going on?
0: Oh, that's really interesting. So... Okay, side note, I was just eyeballing one of these mono white lists that I saw at the SCG. And I don't want to go deep on it. But I just I think that there's this kind of interesting thing happening right now where I think people are trying to decide like, what does mono white have on mono green? right? Because that's one of the big things in my mind that I would be asking is, do I expect mono white to show up at all at Worlds? And if it did, why would it show up, right? So one of the things that I'm wondering is, white, it's, it's a little lower to the ground, it's got smaller creatures, it swarms a bit better, it might have a, you know, chance of kind of killing you a turn quicker, maybe than some of these mono green decks do. One of the most interesting things in my mind is, you know, Elite Spellbinder being such a disruptive card against so many decks that are slightly slower, you know, if you can just, like, tag the right... If you can tag the Asika's Chariot out of your opponent's hand at the right time, if you can tag the Lolf, right? If you can just tag whatever bridge your blue-red opponent was looking to, you know, get between turn four and turn five of the game, perhaps. Try to get the game going long enough to hit their Auron's Epiphany. You know, I'm really interested to see whether Mono White has a showing at Worlds, because it's definitely been a strong ladder deck and seems to have put up some reasonable finishes in some of these SCGs as well. I think, you know, mono green... Just based on what I've seen on the ladder and like what I see in these tournament results, looks like it's going to be one of the decks to beat. And it looks like it's going to be a deck that everyone's trying to play around. And the good news is that I think Mono Green is quite beatable. Maybe it's something that the three of us share, that I think all of us have been gravitating towards lists that, you know, do a fairly good job of beating up Mono Green. So it's always a little surprising to me when I see it dominating tournaments like this, just because the kind of decks that I like to play don't usually struggle in that matchup very much so what I'm wondering this is what I'm wondering is if we're actually going to see more of these kind of mid-rangey or more of these kind of controly lists coming into worlds because I mean Michael J has been kind of talking about it for the, for the whole show right where you can have this plan where you kind of decisively crush lists like mono green while at the same time having enough trump cards to make some of these like blue decks really squirm right right? Cards like Test of Talents, for example. So that's one of the things that I'm most interested in is if we're going to see, you know, like the right Demir control list, or if we're going to see like the right Blood on the Snow base list, which kind of has the trumps to be able to get ahead in, in all of the slower matchups.
2: I think you also have to consider the players. Like, It's not like you know, 16 random players, particular players. You know, didn't Paulo win Worlds last time with a blue-white control deck, right? You're talking about Gabriel Nassif, who's like an, an OG blue-white control player. If it if it's me making prediction on what's going to show up at Worlds, I think not just based on mathematical incentives, which I do think are there, but also just based on the players. You can see an over-index black-blue and blue-white decks. These are my thoughts. I think black-blue... If you think that Mono White and Mono Green are real decks, and those are decks that you have to have in your consideration set, is there a better deck to play than Black? I don't see anybody beating Four Meat Hook Massacre, Four Divide by Zero. That's like... I don't I don't understand how like your your game plan is to put a bunch of guys with three or fewer toughness in play. Like I have four meat hook massacres and God forbid something was bad was going to happen to me. I can divide that or I can divide my thing. Right. And my divide is actually going to get me the teachings I need to keep going or the mascot exhibition that I need to to close out the game. Right. So uh, that's really powerful. And I think that Black Blue has the additional incentive of Siphon Insight. Being among the best cards, I think, like, it's hard for me to to tell which is better, Ashmouth Dragon or Siphon Insight against other control decks. Like, Siphon Insight was a card I completely missed when I I looked at the Innistrad Midnight Hunt spoiler. I was like, oh, this is just kind of a weird think twice is what was my initial thing. And I didn't realize what its long game implications were at the time. Like... One of the limiting factors in control mirrors, it, it, and this is inclusive of black-based control decks, you know, like Blood on the Snow decks, is you can only have seven cards in hand. You're often in like a late game situation where you're discarding a mascot exhibition because you have too many cards, right? You're like Thing up, you're onyxing up, right? And the blue decks are doing other stuff, right? They're deluging, they're faithful men, and whatever, they, they have other ways to accumulate hand. Siphon Insight gives you three separate hands, right? Like the insight itself goes into the graveyard, so there's additional access to to hand, but then you have this whole other zone, which is neither the graveyard, which can be hit by eye tyrants, which can be hit by go blanks. And, like, especially if you think that the term is going to overindex towards control decks, there's this random element to Siphon Insight where, like, okay, you only have X number of Teferi's in your deck, or you have like four Alarance Epiphany. How does your likelihood to win a game change if of the four Alorans Epiphany that you have, I just stole one? What if I stole two, right, with one Siphon Insight? The other thing is, which is very subtle about the card, but I think is profoundly powerful, is that if you think about Think Twice as a card that I've always loved, you know, since it was first printed, is it's kind of the self-contained card advantage thing that helps you draw land on turn two. Siphon Insight is twice as good at helping you to draw land on turn two because you get two looks instead of one. Uh, and then if you're going to flash it back, you know, you get additional two looks to get land. So. I think that card is just profoundly powerful to play in a deck if you think that you're not going to be under pressure because your opponent is playing a blue-white deck or another blue-red deck or something, you're not under, under damage pressure. At the same time, if you're under pressure, there's nothing better than... Divide by zero, Meat Hook Massacre, 4X, 4X. Like divide by zero as a point removal card is outstanding here, right? Somebody blows a bunch of resources to cast an Asika's Chariot or cast a a Ren and Seven and you divide it and then untap with like five mana in play. They are in trouble, buddy. That is really, I think Black Blue is awesome from that perspective. And I think it has really great sideboard options as a result of being Black, right? So that's one thing. I think blue-white is very different, but it has a, a really powerful incentive that I wish you could mash all these things together. The dual lands support it, but the fields don't. So I was just like, oh man, can we take the best elements of red, black, and white and put them into like some sort of cosmopolitan blue deck? And the answer is no, because you won't have enough field of ruin support if you, if you do this. But faithful mending is very quietly just the best best card ever for a deck that has highly pinpoint specialized cards. So like oftentimes you're like, okay, I have a sunset revelry, but I'm playing against black blue. This card is atrocious against black blue. Well, faithful mending lets you get rid of it at a, at a minuscule cost and it pays for itself later. Right. Yep. The same thing is true if you've got a test of talents and you're like, okay, I'm going to get rid of this. I'm I'm just, you know, that much deeper to get to my doom scar. And I got two life in the process. So if you want to play like very extreme cards like Sunset Revelry, Devastating Mastery, cards that are absolute haymakers in some matchups and have no text in other matchups, Faithful Mending is unbelievable. If you want to have a deck that has a card Siphon Insight is incredibly powerful against control and then has the best game plan against go-wide creature strategies, Black Blue is unbelievable there. Both decks have access to Test of Talents. Talents. You can go to four Test of Talents sideboard if you want to. You are probably not going to lose some blood on the snow or Aaron's epiphany based decks if you if you have access to those tools and then there's blue red here's the thing about blue red if I were gonna play a blue red deck in this tournament which has 16 players not 1200 players no way am I trying to take the extra turns there is an egg in play on turn two and I don't even worry about their long game because they can't beat my egg like that's yeah. the thing right if they don't have another catalyzing dragon they can't even kill the egg that's crazy. Or like, this is a like stupid zero four 4 Deliver of Secrets, you know, time bomb is going to sit there, and it's not going to take very long to flip. Like, the first time I saw the thing in action, it kicked my butt, and I was just, like, having all these creatures, and it just... Killed all my creatures and then attacked my planeswalker. I was just like, there's just no way out against this thing. You have to kill it. And like, it's done so much damage to you, whether it's damage to your life total or like the amount of material that it just gobbles up for nothing. Consider kill that, you know, like, you know, whatever cantrips, kill that. I think that there's an incredible incentive to blue red just for that card. I mean, obviously, Expressive Iteration is a good card, but I mean, is Expressive Iteration better than Siphon Insight? I don't think so. I think Siphon Insight is far, far more powerful than Expressive Iteration if if you're not trying to set something particular up, right? If you're going to set up particular cards in your deck, then Expressive Iteration is better. If you just like randomly want to draw cards and, and get some some sort of upside potential, including, you know, tucking cards, right? Expressive Iteration is, Tuck's card's kind of bad, right? Sometimes you're like, oh, I, I just lost it, right? Yeah. Then Siphon Insight is far superior, but that egg, man, I... It's mind-blowing to me how good... Each of those color combinations has a two-mana spell that makes it, like, a really compelling case, especially for that room, right? And I I think there's going to be profound over-index towards blue-white just because, you know, there's legendary blue-white players amongst those 16, right? And players at that level are probably not trying to identify themselves with the particular archetypes, right? It's not like me winking at you and then always having a with spear in my deck, right? Like, these guys are playing for $400,000 or something, right? Yeah, like, yeah. like, they're actually going to try to, you know, like, how many gems do they need to uh, to invest? <laughs> <Is there laughs> like, I, tips? you know... <laughs> Yeah. To make a hundred thousand dollars. We're like, you know, $99,000 in gems is going to be within, is going to be within their carrying capacity there. So that's my thoughts. There's going to be some aggro players, right? You know, People wink and they're like, I'm going to aggro you. That's what I'm going to do. And they're going to have to hope that they're not playing either against the Doomscar decks or the Divide Meat Hook Massacre. I mean, every time I think about it, I'm just like, I wish I hadn't spent all those wild cards on sparring (laughs) regimen. You want some more hooks, huh? You want to get some more hooks? I hate to put it this way, right? Because I was in part inspired by your Demir video, right? And I'm like, he got so many things right and all of his conclusions are wrong. like siphon insight is the ace right like like you're like ah, oh, you, you know you can just play consider Like, no you can't this card is unbelievable
0: that's, right? that's like,
1: what i get that's what i get for trying to appeal to the budget card it's to budget-minded players you have
2: three separate hands like <laughs> That's a lot of hands, right?
1: Like, like and then
2: he's like, ah, Meathook massacre is pretty good, but don't worry about it. Just, just play crippling fatigue. Like, no, no, no. You can pick this wrath back up and then cast it again and gain five life, right? Like, that is much better than crippling fatigue.
1: Never talking to budget players again. Never. It's,
2: you're playing like wallet destroying decks. Yes, right. Like that's your right. deck has twenty Mythic rares in it. You can't appeal to the. Yeah. 20 is far too low. I apologize for saying only 20. You know, you've got probably have like 56 rare and mythic rare cards in your deck. You don't get to be like you can play consider instead of the rare version. The rare version is much, much better (laughs) than the common version in this case. The three separate hands thing killed me, man. I was just like seven cards here, four cards over here, and then also the graveyard.
1: Michael J., have you played Lear, the Drowned Disciple?
2: Which one is that? No, I've only played every the card. card.
1: <laughs> every card in your graveyard gains flashback. Every instance. No, how, how much in does that graveyard? cost? Lear. Five mana for three, four.
2: Five mana, three, four. What color is it? Blue. Does it have flash? No. It does it have hexproof? Have no, can it, it, have can it
0: phase? It's, no, fading hope is what Leah has going for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: fading hope. Yeah. So, my, my versions with uh, Lear that I've been really into now have four divide by zeros and four fading hopes. So, but when they it, try to kill it, it, I just keep. You're just going to be back. so
2: slow. Like, when
1: when are you oh, going to cast that like, card? On turn eight? Yeah minimum i'm just saying if it hits the battlefield on turn 10 and you were gonna play that long anyway it's like you draw your grave.
2: so here's the thing let's say you're playing your leer deck right and your leer doesn't have any text for the first nine turns of the game let's say you're playing against a control deck how many of the cards in their hand have text against leer right a good amount so i mean, be like all right this is a pretty exciting thing i if i'm tapping five on my own turn <laughs> i have to okay. win the initial yeah. counter war and then i have to have you don't even have mana open they're gonna kill it before you get to flashback the first card, I think. But that's one thing. The other thing is that like, if I were to play, I was presumably black blue, right? Not but like, blue white doesn't seem like a natural fit.
1: Uh, I've done both. I like the blue white better, mostly okay. for mastery.
2: I've watched your blue white video, and I think that one sounded way better than the Lear one. <laughs>
1: Okay. I, I accept, I accept. I was mostly mentioning it because you like the three hands. If you see Lear in play.
2: You're talking so about a, an instant speed card that you could cast twice that costs two mana. You're comparing yeah. it to five casts that cost sorcery speed three, four. And I the problem want it is, all.
1: I just want all the above.
2: And you're playing it in a deck where if somebody had point removal, they had nothing to point it at for the first
0: turns of the game. Like this. Is- well, so supposing supposing you bring it in as a breaker in the control mirror, right? You know, your your opponent thinks you're playing this literally creatureless blue white deck. May I don't know. Maybe you kind of side in one or two copies, right?
2: If you were any black deck, right? If you were a blood in the snow deck, if you were another black blue control deck or something, wouldn't you always bring in all the go blanks you had in your sideboard against blue white just for the value? Just cap- it on turn three sometimes it's right and yeah. like you might snag amending right like so, so three is gonna have
1: challenges there for sure like
2: it's really bad if uh, and just in Arjuna's example right if you're like I'm gonna bank on this thing because it's dominated by the thing that you can expect the person that you're bringing this in against to already be playing cards that are good against those so things. it gets hit by the splash damage is what you're saying yeah. yeah so yeah I don't know that one seems like I think you sometimes talk about this as a content play Right. When you do it, you know, make a sizzle reel
0: (laughs) of the time that you,
2: (laughs) here's 30 seconds of all the cool stuff I ever did with Lear and play. Like, cool, man. It might take you 40 games to get those 30 seconds, but
1: (laughs) they're now there. I'm so exposed right now. (laughs) I don't know. Like, uh, it,
2: it seems to me that you're the regular blue white you made. I was like, oh. That seems like a really good, you know, a good shell of a deck. I I think this is something that that we could work with. And I mean, the devastating mastery is it's just such a paradigm. I feel very exposed as somebody who's been suckered into playing blood money strategies by you. How bad it is (laughs) to play against the actual standard in 2022 deck versus your uh, standard 2022
1: deck. well you know that's what we try to do try to take it to the next level <laughs> you, you
2: you're you're moving those wild
1: cards for watsy when's my check
0: coming? i know right
1: i, I keep wondering <laughs> i keep i keep watching the mail and yet uh they still don't they still don't pony up the dough
0: the only thing that we're missing covert go blue is i'd love to hear your predictions for world we haven't gotten there yet
1: i think that control is better than it's been in a long time. And I think it will be overrepresented at Worlds in a way that it hasn't been kind of since Eldraine. I, I guess it was right after Eldraine was the last World Championship and Control, like Blue-White, there were four copies in the 16-player tournament. And it did, like, Paulo took it down. So maybe not since Eldraine, but it's been a while since Control, I think, was this good. And I think that the players in this love to play Control, I would love to see Gabriel Nassif kind of going to the very minimal win con control lists. Always a reason. I love to watch him. I do think there will be some dark horses in the event, probably mono white. I think green will be underrepresented. A chariot, I think will actually be underrepresented. I think that epiphany will hold strong. I think some people will identify it as the strongest ceiling on the format, and they're just going to try to build the best epiphany decks. And but- then I think something like mono white will get sneaky. Not necessarily a turns deck, right? Like not necessarily a, a turns like deck. A yeah. Blue, black, blue,
2: white, or, you know, dragons type deck that happens to have epiphany. Is that what your prediction is?
1: Okay. I think that it'll be is it. And I think it'll have epiphanies as an option somewhere. Probably not cut them entirely, but it won't be like a solo copy epiphany strategy like we're seeing the thing yeah, that yeah. people thought would get banned. I agree. I think it, you're likely to see like somewhere between eight and 10 dragons,
2: including eggs and in, in epiphany. I, I just Ashmoth dragon dragons is too good.
1: It is really good. Yeah, I think that smoldering egg is your sleeper your sleeper pick.
0: I mean, you know, we have as kind of a juicy little preview of the format, Seth Manfield tweeting about you know, he's building his is it list and he's trying to decide between the chicken and the egg, right? So <laughs> this is this is what the pros are thinking about. So, yep, that's, I think, which one comes first in your red deck, the chicken or the egg? That's going to be one of the questions we're trying to answer at the championship for sure.
1: So I'm supposed to be the host. I'm supposed to know how to do outros and things, but I've had go blank cast on me <laughs> a few times this podcast and it's not there. So I, Arjuna, will you take us the rest of the way? I,
0: I will be happy to do so um so first of all just wanted to thank you so much michael j flores for coming on the podcast i mean just having someone of your your breadth of of history with magic and your caliber of thinking is just an absolute honor and a pleasure so first things first uh, michael j where can people find you on the internet and uh, if there's any content that you've been making lately that you want to highlight this is a great place to do so
2: i guess the easiest access to me is probably on twitter i'm five with flores f-i-v-e-w-i-t-h-f-l-o-r-e-s on twitter and yeah i log in every day although uh, i don't i'm not as as tweety as uh, maybe i once was uh but i'm there and then i publish an article on cool stuff inc most weeks uh usually on tuesday morning uh and i just started a little kind of like uh, audio versions of, of some uh, uh there's one episode up so far uh but uh, I'm, I'm kind of like going to rejuvenate it like my ancestor recall podcast from a few years ago. That's just launched last week. And I have other podcasts that let's say are, you know, maybe a little hiatus right now, but I'm sure they'll all, they will all come back at some point. Uh, and I certainly talk with all of my collaborators about the next time we'll record one.
0: Who are these luckily all my friends in real life, too? Awesome. Awesome. You know, w- one of those podcasts, top level podcasts is a podcast I've been listening to for years. Definitely hoping that that won't come back. Just go ahead and add that to your podcast feed, and the next episode that shows up will feel like Christmas time. I, I also would like to see that one come back. So <laughs> <laughs> nice. So maybe we maybe this needs to turn into a, a Patrick Chapin bothering kind of a podcast. But anyway, we'll we'll give him a rest. That was just a joke. Don't actually. <laughs> Go and shake To be fair,
2: we went like something like seven years without missing a week. So So, It's uh, it's allowed. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not like top eight magic, which (laughs) sometimes goes years without an episode. I I think uh, I'm totally okay with uh giving rest patrick's working on some other creative projects and he just wanted to focus you know we would have said something if we really planned to shut down or anything but he's just like i actually want to focus on something else and like i said i think we went seven years without missing a week so that's um, impressive uh i think it's it'll it'll probably be back but you know i'll I'll let everybody know when that's the case awesome (laughs)
1: subscribe to top level podcast it's coming back
0: coming back baby someday (laughs) <laughs> and you know you can find us in all the usual places you can find us on spotify uh we're on itunes we're on all of your regular podcast platforms you can watch the video version of this podcast on covert go blue's youtube channel you can catch covert go blue streaming regularly on twitch.tv forward slash covert go blue you can find me streaming somewhat intermittently on arena craft podcast on Twitch. And uh yep, just can't wait for Worlds tournament. So CGV and I will be back in the coming weeks with predictions and then revelations from from that tournament. So if you want to get like the latest and greatest information about what's actually happening in the meta and what some of the top minds in Magic are figuring out, then you'll definitely want to be tuned in for these next couple of weeks so i will look forward to it then cgb i will see you next week and michael j just have a great week and i'll keep looking forward to seeing your content out there in the world
2: thanks so much for having me i really appreciate it later
1: crafties